Good morning Europe, your Gaia X updates, live from London, by the Uptime Punks and Echo. So welcome back to another episode of the Uptime Punks and it's Good Morning Europe and it's a Guy X special. So um, we're the CEO and now we have the CTO, Pierre Cronier. Uh, welcome to the Uptime Punks. How are you? Hi, Paul. I'm uh, doing great. Thank you very much. Um, it, it seems like everybody at the sea level in um, Gaia X somehow comes from a wine country. So um, Francesco <laughs> was comparing uh, Gaia X like labeling wine bottles. And uh, in France, it's not a different. You guys have the champagne, huh? So... Um, yeah, we have many liqueurs and alcohol. I'm not that uh, big drinker, so I will not be able to correlate that to, <laughs> to wine or, or beer. I know that I'm living in North and here we have a lot of beers, so. Oh, okay. That's that's not bad. But uh, b before we start talking about Guy X, what everybody probably wants to hear, um, let's talk a little bit more about you. Do you remember your first mobile phone? I do. I do. It was an old uh, Nokia, um, the one sliding with a protective case around it, so N seventy. Okay, that's not. Nice. Do you remember? Did you, you remember the color of it? Or a uh, gray. Uh, that I think it was at that time. Nothing really super fancy. Did did it, did it have snake on it? Of was course. It, was it your favorite game or not really? <laughs> no, no. Um, I, I was just using the phone to make phone calls. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for me, it was my, my favorite game was Snake, and then was Snake 2. It was also quite um, entertaining. But yeah, um, um, so this was your first phone. What was your first computer? My first computer was a calculator. So I used to start programming on my Texas Instrument calculator. And then I asked uh, if could I could have a PC, and then I had a PC, uh, a Pentium 2. Yeah. I remember these calculators because I needed the color one, the colored one back then, because I think it was Pokemon or something came out that you were just able to program on it. I remember in order to get it, you had to connect two cables between the calculators to take it off somebody. Yeah, but you're, you're younger than me. At that time, calculator were not colors. <laughs> 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 I'm one generation even older, and uh, by that time it was just like being able to flip the pixel so you have shade of gray. Oh, yeah, but this is already a start of something. I mean that you can um, change change the, the shade of gray. Uh, all right, um, and it was this sort of what what drove your passion for um, IT because um, looking at your background, if anybody looks you up on LinkedIn, I mean they can see that you've been sort of in the tech sector throughout your career. Indeed. Um, I started in the in computer science when I was in 16 years old, so quite late compared to other nerds I could uh, talk with. Um, and then I was just simply fascinated by how the brain um, analyzed the the photon that um, bounced on the retina, and so how we come, how we translate, how we do understand the flow of uh, photon from the light back to the brain, and how to make that an image. So I was very interested by um, image processing and computer vision. That's what drives my most of my studies. Okay, well, that's, that's, that's quite um, interesting. And, and, and what sort of like, are you more like a Windows guy, Apple guy, Linux guy? What's, what's, your, what's your favorite poison? Linux. <laughs> is it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Why is it just because it's open and it makes it easier to just... Um, 
because for me, a computer is just a tool. And uh, for every tools, you, you must be able to, to, to master it and to know how it works. So it's a lot easier to understand how it works when you have access to the, to the source code of the kernel to compile your own kernel. I'm not compiling my kernel anymore, but I used to fine tune it. Okay, that's that's quite interesting. Um, um, also, you know, during the lockdown period, everybody sort of had to find this the the like realm of sanity. And mm. and what was it for you? Did you buy yourself something that you would have never bought if it wasn't for lockdown? Yes, um, I bought um, uh, how is it called um, a tablet to draw. Okay. I used to have I used to sit in uh, meeting rooms and to have a big whiteboard with colleagues where I could draw schemas of architecture and deployment of grid computing. Um, now I need to do that remotely, so I had to I, I bought a, a tablet and um, also two two big screens. Oh wow! Okay, so basically you're drawing now on the tablet. Yeah. That's not that's 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 that's, that's quite nice. My skills um, in drawing haven't improved, but um, I. I believe this is also related to the thing of uh, computer vision. I was always a guy uh, who have um, is able to see things uh, a lot easier, to understand things a lot easier if it's uh, visually represented. Yeah, because basically it helps you with your thought process because yep. while you're drawing it, you're basically thinking it out and you're putting the connections together. Correct. But, but um, the only thing I, I really don't like about drawing on a, on a tablet is that it's just... It doesn't feel right, does it? Because you're sort of drawing the line, but then it's like, yeah, it's drawing, but is it really drawing? And does it really look like you envision it? Mm, it's my my skills on the paper on the tablet are the same. <laughs> the thing is that on the tablet, I'm able to duplicate, to copy paste, to move, to um, organize a bit more of my notes. So um, no, I, I kind of like it. And, um, there's this new thing this nfc art right where you just take a big picture and then you draw over it and then you sell it for a lot of money for cryptocurrency because yeah that that i'm not a big fan of it uh, to move to um one of the not a big fan of the technology i think that the technology itself is a great great thing yeah. i'm not a big fan of the uh, abuse there is around it mm. so right now there is no way to uh, mitigate the risk of you doing a piece of art, having someone copy pasting it and claiming that it's his and putting that on the blockchain, then you have the immutability non-reputation, which is there, but the, the, the first claim, which is wrong, that you don't have verification on it. Yeah, but if you look at some of these prices, I mean, I saw like $9,000 for yeah. like um, a screenshot of some corner of a forest. I mean, how does this ever will have any value? Um, and I got quite in a heated argument with a guy in a pub here in London because he is like selling. So he was selling NFC art, right? Mm. And I said, I said, I said, well, um, it's really great what you do, but it sounds like to me like you're unemployed and you have nothing better to do with your time. And then he said, no, no, no. He said, he said, you need to see it like this. Now he's like, our grandfathers or grandmothers, let's just say our grandfathers, because that's how he expected. He's like, our grandfathers were used to go and buy um a gun right a shotgun a hunting rival and they would come home and hang the hunting rival on the wall and he's like and then our our fathers would probably have pictures and hang them in the wall and he's like now we need to carry it around in our wallet but somebody or in our phone but somebody needs to own it 
I was like, okay. And he's like, well, the person that owns it makes the money because he has the NFC rights. And he's like, and this is where I make my money. And I was like, well, this just seems to be like a very long chain to get anything done. Well, do you want to talk about the banana that was just scorched on the wall in the museum? And that was, I think, um, $120,000. Banana on the wall. Banana on the wall. So uh, <laughs> NFT or banana on the wall or... <clears throat> Yeah. Well, it's um, it's art. So people it's can art, put whatever yes. money they want in it. Yeah, the thing with art is it's in the eye of the um it's in the eye of the person looking at it. So but this like there's many things in life such as Brexit. But let's not talk about Brexit. Let's talk about Europe and the great things that you guys are trying to create. So, um we met Francesco, who is a lovely gentleman, and now I'm wondering Pierre, as the CTO of GaiaX, what, what what do you do on a day-to-day -day basis? What what, is, what are you like? What, what do you spend your day with? Um, most of the time I'm spending my day, my, I will say 60% in meetings and 40% reading. Uh, reading a lot about others' work. So the previous implementation that we had on, the previous protocol that worked, uh, the previous initiative that didn't work. Also, we, we learned a lot from a project that failed. And, um, and meetings on mostly getting information and also sometimes, yeah, well, giving out information, but receiving feedbacks about what is expected, what are the needs. Um, basically, there was one thing that we should, um, um, should say. I went into computer science and computer vision to, to help. And uh, I believe that the same thing for guys should help um, data monetization, data exchange. Um, so we need to get this feedback about what are they are expected, what they are expected, expecting. Um, and then we have this dilemma between offers and demand. So they are expressing a concern or expressing a wish. And it's our job, it's my job to um, operationalize it. But, but did, so, I mean, there's different ways how people look at GaiaX. I mean, us at the punks, we're following it quite closely from the 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 moment of birth and then how it's yeah. like developing now and how it's growing up slowly um you've asked me what i do you didn't ask me what is gaix no 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 <laughs> but, but no no i i know i know but i ask you this because um, i wanted to see which angle you go in from because um, i mean um some look after the partnerships others try to bring more companies on board um then francesco i think he spends a lot of time with new members coming on board trying to explain and sort of like talk about the campaign and then from your end it's probably it, it it falls falls on your lap that you need to make sure that the whole thing actually runs smoothly right yeah because um it's it's i mean if you think about it, you have so many different platforms data pools providers um and they somehow all need to now connect each other which is something um which is really great because for me Gaia X really represents the european spirit which we fail on a political level to have but we somehow found it in tech, which is something remarkable because that's something what you really need to highlight about the project because um, Europe, Europe is falling apart, but uh, in Gaia-X, all the companies and everybody comes together and helps out. And that's something that's, um, that's I, I think is really great because you see the likes of Google, Telecom, everybody sitting on one platform and pulling sort of on one string. Um, so yeah, um, no, what I was saying is that um, the way you look at guys, because you said, well, it's about the data to make sure that the data is transferred safely in these things. 
because I remember at the beginning um, when we spoke about guys, was it always used to be like, well, that's going to be the platform. That's going to be that one provider yeah, you yes. log into. And, and, and then we've changed that a bit. Yeah, you changed that a bit. It was like, it's going to be the one provider fact, you log we, in. We, we didn't change it. Um, I think that's, um, you know, GAX, that's that's a huge, you have two timelines. You have the timeline of the political, political um, uh, speech and trying to make everyone on board and to convince, to, to aggregate everyone around one mission, one, one vote, one decision, one, one vision, and then you have the, the technical uh, roadmap or the technical timeline. My background, and um, I believe one of the reasons I was uh, hired is that I have a strong background in software development and my role is really to, oper to operationalize it. Um, I don't believe in specification that never gets implemented. I've read a lot of specification that never gets implemented. And um, I believe that we should write the software like, like a startup. So you prototype, you beta test with a bunch of um, customers, you get early feedback, and then you iterate again and again and again. Um, having this um, long period of specification and, and then implementation is uh, dangerous because then we might miss the, um, we might not answer the, the, the needs of the, from the user point of view. So this is what we are doing in GAIX. With the GXFS, with all the uh, GAIX Federation services, with all the uh, project that gravitates uh, uh, around it, it's to make sure that we get early feedback from the community to, to check, to verify if our assumptions are correct. And as soon as we have a, a good feedback, then we say, okay, that we can move on and we, we base ourselves on that and then we progress. Basically, you're building it with the community to make sure it's up to the expectations of the community. Yeah, no, but, nothing really fancy on that point of view. That's usually what. No, no, there's nothing but, fancy uh, on this point of view. But I, I, I think it's quite interesting because you're saying that because the, 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 the thing is, well, what we asked from Chesco as well in the podcast was, um, that's really great. But when am I, as an end user, going to see the difference? And as you're saying, you're building it with time. the community. Yeah. Um, do you ask also the end users what they think about it or is it now just the tech companies to see how to put all the dots together well the end user um through the tech company we are asking the tech users okay so gigs to start with will probably mostly be around b2b mm -hmm. business to business um, and uh, if we want to make gigs successful partners have to find a financial interest of using it so GAIX is not going, I don't want to transform, we don't want to transform GAIX into some academic project. We, we really want to have a business value added into the project. So we need to convince the industries, the, the, the governments, the, the, and, um, and we make sure that GAIX is aligned with what we call European value or what are defined as European value. So um, I'm, you didn't ask, but I'm going to give it anyway. <laughs> if, um, if ask me what is GAIX, Gates, uh for me, that's the, um, the framework that enables users to take educated decisions for their IT and data consumption using European value. Okay, and okay, so, all right, this is so, your definition. Um, break it down, make it a little bit more simple. Yes. <laughs> for the end user. <laughs> Basically, we, as you said, we have a lot of expertise in Europe um, of um, small SMB startups. We generate a lot of data 
and uh, and we also have like uh, several countries so it's like 27 countries in europe so it's quite hard to steer everyone to have a, a common reference a common um, rules on how we want to establish um, those exchanges and um, and the european union is doing i believe doing a great great work on that aspect for example um, that's one of the example i'm giving when i need to detail a bit the roadmap of gaix um, to have this trust because we use the trust word a lot uh, trust can be defined as a, an assessment of how someone will if you judge someone being able to do something and for that you need to have information the first kind of information you will need is the identity of the person the, the basics of know your customers turns out that in europe we have a regulation that does that the idas which is the european um, uh, digital identity so for example gaix to enable this trust in the framework so we, we cannot buy trust i mean i cannot go to the supermarket and buy two kilos of trust on one liter of sovereignty that doesn't work that's that's something that the user have to do themselves uh, but we can put we can put the guidelines we can put the framework on how we believe uh, we can enable that for the users and and the first step is to put the same references for everyone based on europe um ongoing europe work so i does regulation for for identity so this is basically like implementing a standard to to standardize the way data is being handled i, I mean the, the the way i look at guidelines, guidelines. Yeah, guidelines. The way I look at it is, it's just there's a. The problem is each country in Europe has a different way of how they handle data and how it should be handled and which data is allowed and not allowed and where you can store it and all of these things. Obviously, Brexit didn't make it easier, um, but uh, I, basically, and companies are handling it different as well within the countries itself. So I think IX is more like a. How would you say it's like a. It's like a roadmap. Roadmap is probably the right way to say it, how data should be handled and how it could be used across the board. Because I think there's a lot of data out there which can't even be accessed at the moment. Like if you think about medical data, right? I really liked that example one time somebody gave me from uh, um, a, a very big, um, a very big American company um, who said that GaiaX could be really well used for medical research if um, doctors would be able to get access to the data from information from, I don't know, Finland, Norway, yes. from all the patient files, yeah. cancer research, all of these things you could help heal the world. And this is where GaiaX can actually even help save lives um, because basically it will put a protocol into place how the data can be shared and how the user, which is the patient, who's the data point, is basically safe. And that's um, that was for me one of the eye-opening moments when I was like, oh, this guy X thing actually really has value to be added. You do that with the health. You, do, you can do the same thing yeah. with the financial sector in um, uh, fraud detection. Not mm. fraud detection for the citizen, but fraud detection for the big corporation, usually that are really cross states. And to enable that, we are back to, as the, the passion, for example, the, if, it is, if this is your medical record that you want to share, that well, you, you will not go in to share your medical record. Uh, the, the doctor will ask you your consent if you want to, you have a medical, could have your medical record to be shared. And that need to be tracked or traceable, visible. So you know when you are going to exchange your personal information, who is going to consume that, what type of data is being shared, under which criteria um, we have this um, this challenge for example and i'm going to take the, the the financial one there is this european regulation called dsp2 dsp2 that enables bank that forces bank to enable um, an api to extract information from your bank account 
through an API, for example. Uh, so you can okay. connect connect your bank account together. You can connect several banks with one broker, for example. That's something that you might have done already. Um, and that's through an API, um, the regulation called TSP2. The same data about your bank account can be used to help you do your accounting. So that's the added value for you because you will be able to maybe improve your the way you spend. Uh, the very same data, so same API, same protocol, same source, can be used in a more controversial way to do uh, targeted marketing. And that you might not agree to, to give out your private information to do marketing targeting so that, um, I don't know, if I'm going every day to the restaurant eating pizzas, the accounting will say, well, you should probably take care because you are spending way too much on restaurants. The target, and that's beneficial for you because you can plan more. The same mm. set of data can be used against you saying, oh, you want more pizza? Here's the new pizzeria that opened a new restaurant. Come and buy more. So it's, it's not about um, what data, but with who you are going to share that data and what will be the usage of that data. I, I, and, and to make the link with the mm. rest of the stacks, when we speak about data, we need to also make sure that we have that, that, that traceability on the entire stack. Data, that's just the one of the top layer, and you have more layer about it. But you, when you share data, then you need to check about the infrastructure. Um, that's one of the things also I'm kind of um, <laughs> repeating. I don't believe that there is one data ecosystem and one infrastructure ecosystem. I believe that we have one data infrastructure ecosystem because no one in the morning wake up and say, oh, I will start a, a Postgre cluster for databases if it's not for storing or processing data. And data don't flow uh, on rainbows without infrastructure. So you need both at the same time. I, I, I think also um, I had an interesting debate that was a couple of months ago with another guest and uh, we were talking about data, right? The value of data. Um, like insurance companies or um, I mean, insurance companies who do um, health policies, I mean, they would love to have this data that, oh, look at Pierre going to a restaurant yeah. again, two bottles of red wine. All right. <laughs> six months, uh, six years later, it's like, oh, I need a kidney transplant because, um, yeah, the liver is done. Yeah. It's, it's like it's things like this. But then you also wonder, like some companies have data about people. Should we get paid for these companies using our data? I mean, the best example is smartwatches, Garmin smartwatch, mm. right? So it does this weekly step competition, monthly step competition, gives you a batch. Um, I got this month the batch for um, 1 million steps in one month. I never had this one before. So that's quite a lot, actually, if you think about it. Um, so... But the thing is, like, all this data, I don't get paid for that. I paid to have the watch, but they probably use this data and give it to somebody else because they say, well, our users use, I don't know, this many steps. And then when you open your phone, I all of a sudden get advertising about uh, nutritional things, brand new walking shoes or running shoes and all of these things. So for me, it's like the end user in this whole data pool should be also rewarded for sharing the data you're sharing because even if you're doing it unintentionally somehow companies are using it for their benefit or how do you see it i'm i don't have the answer to this question however i believe that you as the user should be able to say yes i want my number of mm. steps to be shared or not yeah 
this is, and, this, um, yeah, and this, this is not possible right now. This is why at home I don't have any smartwatch. I don't have any like those uh, speakers what you can ask uh, Google, Alexa, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't have any of those. Um, it's, it's quite uh, interesting because um, I, I would have thought that you're rather a techie guy who would um, want these things around, like hey, well, Alexa. I do have tech gadgets. Um, I have a bit of um, domotic um, smart house um, okay. sensor and everything, but I'm running my own servers. Running so, on it's trust, Pierre. It's, you uh, not, it's do you not it's, trust it, the, the, the Alexa? No, I don't trust that. <laughs> <laughs> no, clearly not. When I'm buying an IP camera, I'm checking where is the IP, uh, the streams of data coming, uh, going to. Wow. Okay. Um, so I'm sharing, I'm, I'm not going, for example, to buy an IP camera and say, uh, do you want to be connected through whatever cloud so you have your, your, um, your camera yeah. on your phone? Because that you have no idea who is going to access the camera and you are not looking at your phone. Mm. The thing I, I will do, and I believe that's in the range of any um, IT developers or architect, is I will simply configure my router to directly access my camera in my network. And that's like a few lines of code or... Yeah, but only you, you can do this. I cannot, I, I cannot do it as an end user. No, but that's that's probably where something we, we should work on. Um, I believe something. that... Yeah. Um, <laughs> There is a, there is um, a lot of uh, education probably to be done on on how to use um, ITs. Um, there is something that I call the IT hygiene or health. Uh, for example, to not use the same password on the same website, to use a password manager, but probably yes. not a password manager which is online because then that's the same issue. Um, um. Yeah, of course, because it's uh, in the cloud to, then, like the key be, chain. Mm. Yeah, to be able to recognize when you have a fraudulent email or not. I mean, I still have my mother sometimes forwarding me emails. Oh, Pierre, what do you think about that? Should I click here? No, don't click there. <laughs> so the, I, I believe that uh, Gaix in this endeavor about the user, because that was the beginning of the question, we need to yeah. have a lot of education also on the hygiene that when we, when we are using in IT. And as I said at the beginning, IT is just a tool. Yeah. So it's the same thing when you have a car, if you want your car to be efficient and to uh, be able to use it for a long time, well, maintain it without being, uh, without, mm. without being like uh, trying to wash it every weekend, you just make sure that you do the correct paper and you don't drive like crazy. It's a tool, IT is a tool also and should enable us human to do more things. Um, so, let me ask you, what do you see is the next six months roadmap for GaiaX? What do you think the journey is taking everyone? Um, so I have a technical roadmap um, for the next six months. And I believe that the first step we need to really uh, align or work on is the management of the identity. We had already a lot of initiative in the past um, trying to align on the specification of the protocol, on the API, on the data format to, to, to create those ecosystems, those data spaces with some, I would say, limited success. Some very successful, but as a more like a niche on a, one vertical market like health or sectors or some, something, but not um, at the scale of the European Union. And I believe one of the key differentiators, one of the key enablers is 
something that we call trust like <laughs> a few minutes ago if i want to share my if i want if to be willing to share my data with you i need to know about you who you are and and that's the basic that we have in the it with uh, in the business with know your customer so you need to know about the other parties uh, the example i'm giving is uh, you have two participants bob and alice usually those are the names that we use in the it world bob and alice and bob want to share data with alice but before they can do that they need to recognize the identity that uh, of alice so in the term of in terms of roadmap to me that's identity first and um, and then being able to describe the policies or the rules for sharing your data for sharing your services um, let's say that i'm i'm willing to get you access to my temperature sensor that i have at home i have a lot of different temperature sensors at home uh, renovation work and insulation well probably another meeting <laughs> or another discussion <laughs> and humidity um, probably and humidity yes do you have uh, an air quality sensor no not yet but uh, i know somebody was in the podcast they got an air quality sensor because of lockdown because i said i'm sitting now the whole day at home i want to make sure i always have 100 percent. and then he connected it to a robotic little arm that would open the window so if the air quality is bad in the room, the window would open, window. open and the fresh air will come in. Ah, you see, Pierre, ah, there's, there's always space for improvement. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I, I did an automation on my um, fireplace. So, okay. <laughs> uh, but that's, uh, that's a long story or something also like that. Uh, uh, temperature sensor, and then it uh, trigger a fan if the heat is not too, it's not, it's too high or not. Anyway. Um, back to the, the sharing the data, there is one important thing. Once we have the identity, so once I know you are Paul, the, the thing I would like to put in place are the rules of uh, the rules under which I will be willing to share my data. So I'm granting you the right to access the data one time per day for one sensor, for example. And I need to make sure that those rules are enforced. Same thing with the um, patient or the health records. If a, if a doctor wants to make a study, they don't need to have access to your to your entire medical report. Medical record, they might have just the need to access to a part of it, and um, and not like ten times a day. And uh, and so we need to make sure that we have the same language to express the, the data usage rights. Do you if think you that's the biggest challenge? The, the same language. If we are not able to 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 understand each other. The, yeah. Um, yeah, it will be tricky. So, so you think that's the biggest um, it's, challenge at the moment? The communication between the different layer? Would you call it layers or would you call it um, data points or entry entry points probably to the data pool, right? Mm, data points could be also data sources, data endpoints, those yeah. different names. The data so in terms of um, that will that will bring to the the topics of interoperability. In terms of interoperability, there are several layer, and um, I'm always a bit um, uh, like um, let me just like <laughs> uh, teasing people uh, when they ask for interoperability because you want interoperability at the data level, but data is static. So you have a I'm going to be a bit. Uh, um, um, sarcastics, but if you have a zip file, that's a zip file on the left, and that's a zip file on the right. 
the thing that will be modified that will be important is what is the workload that enables you to process the files so do you have access to the software and that's one of the biggest thing for example we have with hyperscaler they have dedicated stack that are really great but you kind of have this this locking effect you cannot have the same features somewhere else um, if you have, let's imagine that you have this feature, the workload, so the software to process the data, do you have access to the license that enables you the right to execute that workload somewhere else? Okay, you have the data, the workload, and the license. Do you have the identity? So are you able to log in to that workload and to use that license? We have a lot of platforms that use like those Facebook Connect or Google Connect or Yahoo Connect or Microsoft Connect. What happens at some point in time if you are revoked your data is there, the workload is there, it's simply you are locked out because you are not sharing the same, you don't have access you, to your identity anymore. You, you're locked out from life. It's um... So interoperability, that's like the data itself, the workload, the license, the identity, the configuration that you put, yeah. and that's just software. Now we can speak about the hardware. What, what about the... the um, do you have the same CPU version? Do you have the same kind of um, storage and network and computing um, resources? So interoperability or sometimes a, a word that I, I don't really like, sovereignty, how it's defined, that's the uh, across the entire stack that you need to take care of that. It's quite, and, it's quite complex uh, what you- what And you... at the top of it, yeah. at the top of it, you have the policy rights. Yeah. Uh, if you don't agree that, so you, you've negotiated your identity, I know your poll, yeah. and then I, will, I want to negotiate with you that you have access to one of my temperature sensor one time a day. Yeah. Then later we can think about, okay, what format you want to have to read your data and what type of API you want to use and um, where do you want to store that data on. But the first thing is to know each other and to talk the same language. It comes down to communication. So, so, so basically, um, your daily struggle and success is communication between different parties, I guess. We do have a lot of on. There is a, a huge learning curve that we have to do in GAX about existing, um, existing initiatives. Okay. The the idea um, is really to reuse as much as possible what is existing mm. when it's relevant. Um, so that we we don't start from scratch, we can reuse existing ecosystems, and for the others we can leverage all the work they've done in terms of communication, education, definitions of the glossary. Um, one of the big tasks that we did in the March release of the architecture document of the GAIX architecture document was to define a glossary. Okay, and, and it's back to communication again a bit. Yes, back to communication. Um, when do you think, um, because when we used to have Andreas here and other people, they used to, we used to say, when is the platform ready? And we heard something quarter four. Um, <laughs> is, is that still a realistic outcome that in quarter four, we will start seeing, um, let's just say the, the lovely painting that you're painting, Pierre, because you're painting on your tablet. Yep. Is it going to start getting a frame by end of the year? Is I it going to so. be something? Um, touch uh, like something you can see for the end user for the citizen i don't think that will be visible for the end of the year okay uh, i do believe that we will have the first element for for bnbs for yeah b2b 
Okay, so this means uh, end of the year people will start getting some sort of traction on getting access. Yes, and again, as you as as defined, it's Gaze will not be a cloud provider. Is not a cloud provider. So no. we define a framework. We need to have the adoption. We need to have the onboarding of our, of our members, of our future members, on, on this framework. And that, um, and, and to have that, we need to work on the on the gates added value. And uh, how do we build this uh, famous uh, two kilo or three kilos of trust that we need? <laughs> Well, as we all know it from uh, personal relationships, trust is not built overnight, and um, no. and neither will be Gaia X or uh, Rome wasn't built overnight as well. But yeah, that's that's really like I mean, I mean the guy, like I said already, Gaia X is great because it's the European um, unity of people coming together, and I think um, you guys are, don't really ha have an easy task because you need to communicate with so many people, and then. Everybody yeah. sort of had has a different idea about how a Gaia lot X... of stakeholders. Yes, a lot of stakeholders. Yeah. Stakeholders with uh, competing agendas. Yes. Yes, because everybody wants to be the number one cloud provider and the number one company for something, and that's where just things just clash, and you guys just have to be the neutral party in the middle and say, yeah, but that's what it needs to be. And this is the principles behind it, and that's how you need to find your own identity as Gaia X as well. Mm and um yeah i think you guys are doing a really great job in it so um thanks for um keeping up the um, european spirit in some way or another even though it didn't work in the parliamentary <laughs> world at least yeah. it's working in tech <laughs> yeah, hopefully it does yes um we have great example uh, just to finish on the uh, yeah. on the, the this transformation from trust and from moving slowly from a human governance to more to a, a digital governance yeah. Before you were for making a bank transfer, you were going to your bank uh, branch office, and you were trusting the guy in the, the the desk because he was wearing or she was wearing a, a shirt with the logo of the bank. So you're trusting the human. Now, if you want to do a bank transfer, you go to the website and you trust the little green padlock. So you trust a certificate. You don't trust the human in front of you at the branch office. You trust the certificate there, and. Um, and that's yes. one of the uh, illustration I can give to, to say moving from a human governance to more uh, digital governance. And then us human can spend more time doing creative work. And drawing. Um, <laughs> and drawing and selling bananas scotch on, on walls. Oh, maybe that's, uh, Pierre, I don't know, maybe you draw something. I'll try to sell it for you. But um, Pierre, thanks for coming here to the Upton Punks. Um, the last bit is always with the guest. So I would, I would, kindly like to ask you to um you can leave your mark for the generations to come so um it's 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 your closing statement um bananas and drawings aside what would you like to say to the generations to come <laughs> well uh, a hard request um sometimes i had i've tried i'm not sure this is still dry but I've tried to compare Gaix with Star Trek, where we have a federation. And I believe Gaix is a lot more of a Star Trek thing than the Star Wars thing. So Scotty is going to beam you up. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, a big, I'm, a, I'm a big Star Trek fan. So, so who's, who is Scotty here? Is that, um, is that Andreas who brings members on board? <laughs> Andreas is definitely one of the key contributors. Yes, definitely. Definitely in the engineering room.
Yeah, that's great. Amazing. Perfect. Thank you, Pierre. It was an absolute pleasure to have you here. Thank and you. Um, I'm sure I'm sure we're going to, you know what, I, let's pencil it. I'm going to bring you back beginning of next year and we see how that platform went in December, the opening for the B2B. <laughs> Deal. Deal. <laughs> and we see okay. if you're still drawing pictures on tablets or probably you moved them to walls. <laughs> but yeah, amazing. Thank you, Thank you so much. Paul. Thank you. Take care.